hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. You know, sometimes there are guests that come on this show that I am completely blown away by. Guests that I'm meeting for the first time during the interview who have a story that I feel the world really should know about. And Smitha Sharma is one of those guests. Smitha is an award-winning photojournalist and visual storyteller based in Delhi, India, reporting on critical human rights and social issues in her own community, as well as in the global South. And she goes on assignments for National Geographic Magazine, Human Rights Watch, and many other publications. She was recently awarded a Amnesty International Media Award for her work on child sex trafficking and has become a TED Fellow. Fascinating stuff. She was fantastic to talk to. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Smitha Sharma. We are supported by Rocket Club. Rocket Club is the virtual entrepreneurship, coding, and robotics academy for kids age 7 through 14. And guys, my 7-year-old started the class like a month ago and absolutely loves it. They've covered topics such as blockchain and cryptocurrencies and the coding behind the technology. They've talked about stock market analysis, NFTs, aka non-fungible tokens, which I'm trying to figure out what that means. And they do all of it through a exciting gamified curriculum. So it's super engaging and fun for kids. They also have 22 additional communities, including coding, robotics, 3D printing, and Rocket Club Live. And they are fully virtual. They have members from 29 different states and also from England, Ireland, and India. It's super, super cool, super exciting. You can check them out by going to my landing page at www.rocketclub.com backslash tuckered out. And make sure you go through my page so you can take advantage of the free trial. Again, www.rocketclub.com backslash tuckered out. So I'm always interested in your in childhood. So growing up, uh, obviously, I'm assuming you grew up in India. Maybe I'm wrong, but I assumed you grew up in India. And I also assume that you grew up with a typical like South Asian household, strict parents, religious parents, conservative, all that stuff. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, my idea of family uh, and growing up was that until I left my hometown and I went to uh, Bombay. And then I realized that I came from a very liberal, uh, you know, family. Uh, because until then, I would only go out with them for family vacations, uh, you know. So I was born and raised in this uh, city. It's a small city, you would call uh, you know, it's a small hill station called uh, Shillong, which is on the northeastern part of the country. Right. You know, pine trees, meadows, valleys, and waterfalls. Uh, it's very scenic. And uh, the culture is very cosmopolitan. You can hear, listen to Bob Dylan if you get onto uh, the taxi. 
Um, wow. It's called the rock capital, uh, you know, of India. Uh, there's a lot of music, Western music, and uh, also the schooling. Ninety percent of the schools in that town uh, is by missionary, you know, the Irish missionary. Uh, okay. So I I studied in a convent in a Catholic institution. Hail Mary, Mother of God, <laughs> was was my prayer every morning in the school, and uh, so it was very diff- different because we were learned. I mean, we were taught uh, different etiquettes, how to sit, how to speak. You know, it was very strict schooling, and all the schools were that way. You know? um, okay. And, Can I ask you something? Yeah. Are you are you are you Hindu background? What's mm-hmm. what's your religion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, born Hindu. So was that was that hard for you to gauge in terms of like religious wise, or did it matter? It didn't matter. Okay. It was just a different way of praying. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. Great. That's great. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, that was my childhood. So this is the good part about my childhood. Now, coming to the difficult part about my childhood was uh, there was a lot of violence uh, while I was growing up in the 90s, late 80s, 90s, because, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of ethnic clash. There was a lot of racism, which we were not aware of when I was growing up. Uh, And, uh, you know, anybody who was not a tribal, who was not uh, from the indigenous uh, uh, community, who were like the Khasi or Karos, like uh, someone who was a Punjabi or Marwari, uh, I'm I'm a Bengali, so we were looked. We were called with a slang called Dakars. Dakars means uh, uh, somebody from outside and outsider. So we were called an outsider in in our own country. We were looked as that, and there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of curfew. Uh, often in the newspaper, you would see that somebody was killed, somebody was murdered. Uh, there was stone pelting happening. All those things happened and we would not go to school for sometimes for two or three months. And initially we would be very happy. Okay, no homework, nothing. And then later we would get very bored. And this was like when I was in class, uh, I think grade four, grade five, you know, you were young. You and, and did you realize, you didn't realize what was going on? No, we did realize a little bit because you could always hear in the community, you know, people gathering and talking in the evening. Or something, you know, a house was burned and you could see, because it's a hill station, you could see far, you know, there's some burning happening and there's this violence. You can hear people scream. So there's this fear. So, of course, uh, we knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. Or I still remember when I was, I think uh, I was in grade four, my father came running to the school. Suddenly there was silence in the school and we were made to sit quietly and then everybody's parents came to pick them up. Right in the afternoon, and it didn't make sense. And then later we right. realized that there was some violence. So this was not the good part. And I guess this this particular you know phase that we all grew up, you know, children of my age, which they, I think it had a lot of impact because uh, it's not nice growing up with racism. We call about racism, you know, in other countries, but sometimes there is racism in your own country. And the funny part was. Uh, I'm, the funny part was, you know, the national media, you know, which is always centered in Delhi, nobody reported about what was happening because it was not an important place. It was not politically very important or something. So it was a very neglected part of the country. And perhaps that's the reason why I became a journalist. I think so. Interesting. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned, because I think 
you know, for as an Indian American, I always hear from Indians abroad how racist the U.S. is. And, you know, because obviously it's out there and we see it in the news and, and we hear it all the time. And yes, I agree. But then I, I also want to say, and I'm glad you brought it up, places like India, which I've lived in a couple of years, places like the U.K., like it's kind of everywhere. So, I think it's just it's just more maybe the light is shined more in the U.S. because of the media and the news. And, and also we are living, I am living in the most diverse country in the world. And so the idea of racism and the, the fact that it's, it's going to happen is, is a little bit more obvious than a place like India where you see, assume it's more homogenous. You know, you assume that, but for people that haven't been there or don't know it, for me, who haven't been there for a few years, I felt it. You know, I remember when I was in Delhi, in Gurgaon, and we were moving to Bangalore for our next stint. And my coworkers in Delhi were like, so like, oh my God, you're moving to South India? <laughs> I'm like, guys, can you, like, I don't even, I don't even get it. I don't even get the whole, but it happens everywhere. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, so your parents were pretty relaxed, you're saying? They weren't like super conservative or like you must be a doctor, lawyer, engineer kind of parents? No, I think they did not discuss much about what they... I think it was more about our safety at that point of time when you we were growing right. up. And the idea was, you know, once we were done with high school, they would just, uh, you know, they would just want their children to go out of Shillong elsewhere in the country and you know, studying colleges and make a good career. It was all about that. It was all about getting out of it. Got it. Were they worried about like you getting married right away or no. were they more focused on education? Okay. No, my family, I think nobody, like none of my relatives, uh, I think marriage was very far-fetched. It was never discussed. And also my mother was a working woman. Uh, you know, both my parents were working. My aunt was working. Like we, we have a lot of married uh, women working in the family, you know, my aunts and other people. So it was not that, uh, you know, like marriage was given so much of importance that a girl has to be 22 and 23 and get married. Nobody, nobody even thought of getting married before 25. Like, no one wow. would have thought. Yeah. So I think that way, it was, I, was, I had a pretty liberal upbringing. And, uh, right. It no, was no, not I mean, that's a big difference. Right. Because I know my own cousins in in bombay uh, by the age of 22 23 it was very much like okay next step time to get married so i think i bengalis, think that's great. i think bengalis are uh, far more liberal you know right the community right. No, the bengali fantastic. community yeah and so then did you know growing up what you wanted to do like how did journalism come into play was it because of parents? Was it because of the upbringing? Like, how did that enter your mind as to this is what my career is going to be? To be very uh, honest, this is really funny. So I was very bad in maths. Uh, you know, I hated numbers. I think my brain did not function, you know, in a way, you know, in, in, in a way that I would be really good. And uh, I took up science and then I realized, no, this is not my cup of tea. Yeah. Perhaps I'd be good in arts and humanities. And that's when I changed completely and I took a mass communication. And I just knew it then. This is not, this is for me and this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> but at that point of time, I really did not know journalism as such, but I knew it was something related to communication. So 
I dabbled my hands in a lot of things for internships and for small jobs, like even management, advertising. I did a lot of things before finally getting into journalism. Did you work for a lot of other companies or did you work on your own? Yeah, I did. I, I did work in Bombay and in Pune. You know, I did work while I was studying. Uh, you know. Okay. So I was doing my okay. uh, education and I was also working because I wanted that experience and I wanted to learn. So I dabbled right. my hands in many things and then I right. wasn't really understanding what I really want. And I, I and at that point of time, you know, at 18, I already started photography. And at that point of time, it was like a film camera, which I still have. And I really loved photography, but I didn't know how to pursue a career with photography, with telling stories at that point, because there was no Google, there was no internet. It was just coming up, you know, it was so expensive. Right. <laughs> to go to a <laughs> cyber <laughs> it was so expensive to go to a cyber cafe and then do some research and and I, it never came to my mind that I should google or I should do some research and find out what I can do it never came to my mind I did not have a direction so I was trying a lot of things I'm, I'm curious how did you get your first camera um and how did you how did you pick it so it was a part of my uh, education. It was a part of mass communication that I was studying, you know, my bachelor's degree. Um, and I was so interested. I would take my uncle's camera and I would shoot with his, you know. And uh, so then my father gifted me one on eighteenth birthday. Oh, nice. Do you still have it? Yeah. <laughs> I've never, oh. I'll always have it. Very nice. And then I always love asking this question because all my guests are South Asian. Was there any restrictions growing up on dating and relationships and marriage? Or was that not, was that ever talked about in your household? I think it was never discussed. <laughs> so, so like my house, like my house, basically. It was yes. like understood. It was like, you know, a communication which was never communicated. <laughs> Un understood meaning you would never date. No, it was like you would date, but only after you are, you know, you have completed your education and you have a job, then you can date. It was something like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you were able to, but not really able to talk about it. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I feel you. Same way. My, my parents are like, you can date after you get married. I'm like, how does that work? Exactly. That's Don't funny. Don't, don't really know, but okay, great. Um, so then, so education wise, how did you get to New York? So again, uh, I think a lot of factors. I was working uh, with, a you know, national English daily and my job was not very interesting. I was mostly at the desk and I wouldn't get too much of reporting work. And, um, I was, I was a text journalist and I was a sub editor. Not, not a photographer then. But I would have a photographer bring their work and I would look at the work and I was like, oh, I could have done it. I could have taken this from this angle. So uh, I was on this desk job at a National English Daily Journal. Uh, I was there working okay. for almost six years and it was not a very interesting uh, job. I think I was more inclined towards visual journalism and... Uh, I always wanted to go out and work on stories that I cared and which were more investigative nature, which, uh, you know, uh, which not many people knew about. And uh, 
it didn't happen. So there was a okay. kind of frustration that grew within me. And although, and, um, you know, I had uh, access to all the Reuters and AB because, you know, we, we would look at all the stuff that would come right. in and I would open and I would look at those images and I was like, oh my God, I wish I had gone there. I wish I had taken that. So there was this kind of thing building out within me. That there were a lot of things I wanted to do and I was sitting on this boring desk. Um, yep. And uh, that's when I decided like it's now or never because, um, you know, like I knew then the pressure of marriage would finally come up. My parents would, you know, it's it's understood, you know. Yep. And uh, inevitable. Yes. Inevitable. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's when I applied, uh, you know, and I started preparing uh, slowly, you know. And uh, yeah, finally I got accepted and I left thinking it would be a few months and it almost <laughs> was <laughs> a few years. <laughs> so did you want to go to New York or was New York just like an option or was, was that... Like, I must go to New York. This is my goal. And, like, be in America. I think I wanted to go to New York because uh, of the city in general, because it's very accepting. Uh, it's a lot. There's a lot to learn. And it's almost like a portfolio of different cultures, different, you know. So I think for me, it was not just photography, but it was also self-development. I wanted to experience different cultures. I wanted to meet people. I wanted to meet people from Brazil, from Argentina, from Hungary, from you know different parts of the world, from Kenya. Right. Uh, so I think uh, it was that kind of wanting, that kind of need. That and and then I of course I did research. I did research. I studied a lot about, and then I, I just knew I had to go there. And, yeah. yeah. So how was it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Was it like both? No, I don't think I ever hated it. I just loved it. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, I just loved it. I think the city was very welcoming and I got a lot out of the city. I made such good friends, acquaintances, mentors. I, I learned so much. My schooling was fantastic. Uh, I was the only Indian in my class in the entire, and there were people from so many different countries. It was great. Yeah, it's like a, edu a, a uh, life education in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you you also got a degree in Pune, right? Was that afterwards? No, it was before. Oh, beforehand. Okay, and then and then New and York. then uh, so the Pune happened, and then I went to Calcutta for the job, and I stayed in Calcutta for six years, and then oh wow, and then from Calcutta it was straight to New York. <laughs> That's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. Gagata's a whole different story yeah. right there. Yeah. So I guess I, I was thinking about this. I sent you this question, but what did you, what did you feel like you learned from the American education you got in journalism, photojournalism versus the, the education you got in India? Like, was there big differences? Was it the same basic kind of rules I mean I don't know like what was the takeaway from each place very different I think okay. the Indian education is more inclined towards examination you know uh, you have an exam which you have to appear and you have to do well in that you have to get good grades a lot of importance is given to the end of the year or to the term you know sometimes you have midterm and final examination too or sometimes you have three It's, it's or semester exam you know and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I assume this for like 
engineers and doctors and lawyers, but even for journalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think for all the streams, they have semesters wow. and they have exams. So every household you will see, okay, I have my semester exam. I'm not going to come out. I'm not going to go to a movie. It's because right. it's it's like a cycle. Psychologically, I think people just stop going out before exam. They feel that pressure, and uh, I think in the American system, the pressure—you don't have this pressure of exam at the end of the semester or trimester or whatever. It's right. it's an education where you are gaining something every day. You're learning right. every day, you know. Right. And in the Indian system, uh, also in journalism, very specifically speaking. Um, it, I felt my education that I received was very academic. It was very bookish. Uh, whereas in US, we had in, in ICP, we had people from Time Magazine. We had people from different, you know, Wall Street Journal come and teach us. Uh, they would give us assignments. They were also we had uh, assignments during weekends. You know, it was a very, right. very, very intense program because. I would spend hours and hours. Sometimes I would be in the lab till 12 because that's when the lab used to shut. <laughs> right. Would, and we would be the last ones to leave the leave the school. But in, in India, you know, they, they I think in, in certain places they might be open, but generally by evening, everything is shut down. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it's super cool that you got both experiences. I mean, obviously being more American. I, I feel like I resonate more with the American education, but the rigidness and the the strictness of the Indian education is obviously there's a good parts to it too. Mm-hmm. Where your parents like come back now, yes. they need you back home. Oh my yes. god. Oh uh, yes. my god. You're like Lagna, Chalo, let's go. <laughs> Goodness, my dad was so upset with me because he thought I would graduate and I would come back to India and then I told him that like, I'm not coming back now. <laughs> I'll come back after six months. I'll come back after yeah, <laughs> next year. I'm sure. They were, yeah. My father was very upset. My mother, not so much. She was like in between. She understood me. But again, she had to pacify my father. But yep. my dad was very upset. He wanted me to come back and get married. <laughs> of course. Of course. That, that is a typical South Asian story mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And is that why you went back? No, I did not go back. Okay. I stayed as long as I wanted to. So, oh, good. Yeah. You, I don't know. I was called a rebel, which I took it in a very positive way. So it's, as I told you, I it's gave a very, up. It's a very, it's a very positive thing. It's a very positive <laughs> I think so. I think so. Because if I had not done it, I would regret my entire life. And now I have no regrets because I did things according to what I wanted was good for me. I, I made the judgment, whether good, bad. But I think I made a good judgment because I'm really happy with what I have got so far. You know, That's amazing. Yeah, but it was so tough because I did not have much money. I was doing two, three jobs. You know how life is difficult. I had no support. I It was so challenging. It was so challenging. Financially. That's the beauty of New York, right? Smitha, like the struggle of making it here and loving it here and doing your art and doing your work and barely making rents like that is the New York story, which is, I'm so happy that you had that because I had the same thing. And so <laughs> it's a special, it's a special experience. It really is that most people don't get. I think it polishes you like a diamond. You become just strong and you sparkle. You, I think, you know, they say that about uh, Bombay, but I really think it's more true in New but York. But you know if what? You can make it here. Uh-huh. Right. 
But I will right. also tell you because I also lived in Bombay for two years. I find a lot of things common in Bombay and New York also. So what do you think that is? I want to hear. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I think, you know, both New York and Bombay, they have water. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> both the cities yes. are super expensive. Right. Uh, both these cities are super crowded. <laughs> right. Right. Both the cities, I think, is very cosmopolitan and, and liberal. Because in Bombay, you can wear shorts and you can walk on the streets and not many people are going to give you looks. You know, right. it's pretty safe right. for girls um, right? in comparison to Delhi or any other place. So that way, I think, you know, Bombay and New York and Bombay, I think what I saw and what I felt while I was studying and working in Bombay is that it is very accepting of people who work hard. Bombay is. It is also a professional place. They want that. They, yes. They, that, they, it's, it's a hustle. Like they love hustle. the hustle. They love the hustle right. and they respect right. professionalism. Yeah. yeah, and, and they, especially with women now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah, and they, I don't think they intrude too much into a personal life or anything. I don't think they do right. too much. It's like I don't think so either. I mean, I lived there for a year, <laughs> um, and I was a backup Bollywood dancer. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Don't even ask. <laughs> um, but definitely felt comfortable doing it there versus anywhere else. I did have my very nosy Gujarati relatives asking me stuff. But other yeah. than that, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Bombay. Um, so then, okay. So then you, you worked uh, in New York. You obviously headed back to India at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Assuming for marriage. No, I, I, okay. I came back because I wanted to be back and work on something that I really cared for. And that is my project called Not My Shame, which was documenting sexual violence in the country. Um, which you got an award for yeah. recently. Uh, Can we talk about that award really quick? So the award was not for this project, but something similar to this project, because um, sexual violence was basically I was documenting rape and, uh, you know, rape survivors and victim families. Uh, and uh, the award that I got for is for child sex trafficking within India and Bangladesh. Yeah. Okay. Well, so congrats on that. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about that really quick. So, not my shame. First, why that topic? Obviously, it's a very important one. And then second, what was your experience like documenting all this stuff? Like, what does that mean to document that? So, uh, you know, uh, photography, I think, is a very important visual tool. Uh, it's also a record of history. Because 50 years down the line, I might not be alive, but my photographs are going to live. And when people are going to see, they, will, they would know that this is what was happening at that point. Um, so very powerful visual is very powerful mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's always going to stay you know it's always going to resonate for generations Um, so um, so my the the reason why I wanted to work was because you know as an Indian woman and anyone who anyone who has grown up in this country for sure you would have been sexually violated in some way or the other some kind of abuse, some kind Wait, of... Wait, I'm sorry. Are you, you're literally saying no no matter what, if you grew up in India as a woman... You would go through it. it. Ha- yes. Somebody would... 100%. 100%. Somebody would touch you in the public space where you're traveling in a bus or in, in a metro. So somebody would give you that very disgusting looks. Um, this is just... 
the, no, the, I know. The, and this is like the minor things I'm saying. I'm not even going to right. the, you know, so the, the, the more the, serious the stuff. Things. Yeah. Right, right, so right. So I think, you know, I was very, I, I really wanted to investigate about sexual crimes. Uh, and, uh, you know, whenever I would uh, look for news reports, and this is before the Nirbhaya incident, which happened in 2012. You know, this right. is before that, because I started researching before that. So while I was right. researching, I would look at some of the news reports and it was like, girl found murdered on a railway track. Uh, the girl was supposed to be 23 years old. So this girl has no name. What about her family? How did she end up in the railway track? Was, was she, Why was she murdered? You know, or a girl has been raped and she, and it was always about somebody who was always from the poor family. Somebody who was poor, somebody who was from the backward community, somebody who was, you know, it was. And by and by backward community, we mean let's let's be straight up. Is this lower caste? Yes, yes, I meant to okay. say that lower caste, or or it was always somebody who was from the villages or the suburbs. It was never about, uh, you know, upper middle class. It was never about, um, you know, educated people, as though it doesn't happen. But right. the reality is, it happens everywhere. To every community and class, you know, it's just that your people don't want to talk about it. Uh, right. So when this right. uh, the Delhi bus rape incident happened, and you know everyone is aware of the protest and all the violence that happened, I started thinking that why are people so angry now? Because it's not the first time. Of course, people. It was right that people were angry, and for the right, right reason, right. and it had to be. It had to be. But I was thinking, why now? Why not before? Because before also... There why were, not before and before and before and the hundreds of years this has happened, Why right? did people get angry before that? Because it's right. not... There were girls who were raped and murdered who were burnt alive. There were girls... There were these two girls who were raped and they were hung from the trees. Why was this anger not so much? And then I realized... And I, I spoke to some... Uh, uh, you know, experts, uh, a professor, a doctor, uh, you know, somebody who had done a PhD in gender studies. I spoke to a lot of people because I was doing my research and I wanted to find out. And what I, what resonated with me and what I realized was, it was the rising of the middle class consciousness, I felt. Ah, got because it. here was one girl who was in her early 20s who was studying to become uh, you know, a professional, she was studying, uh, I think, uh, uh, something related to medical, I'm not very sure, sure what, and, uh, and somebody who lived in the urban area, you know, who lived right. in a city, who was going out with a, with a male friend to watch a movie to the mall. So it was like every, we could relate to it. People like anyone us, could, anyone yes, could relate yeah. to it. And that is why people were so angry because they felt scared right. and they felt that it, it can happen to any of us. You know, I think this was the reason for that anger. And rightfully, they were, they were right to get angry. But I just started thinking that I should tell the stories of women who never make out to the newspaper, who will never hear the stories about because I think even they are equally important. Of and, course. And that's when I started traveling but i had my research done already before the two years of research done already before that and that's when i spoke to some of our mentors in new york and i told them like look i'm very very um, you know this has been affecting me and i've been doing my research and i have this idea and 
So everybody was very encouraging and said, I think you should go back. So that's when I decided and I came back to India and then I started working on it, you know, traveling around the country, going to villages, going to very difficult places. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, because, you know, the, the few years that had been there, um, you know, traveling around India as a single woman is not easy. So how was that process? How was the experience? Were you ever scared? Was it ever... Was there ever moments of like, oh my God, I'm in danger? And also, you're obviously a journalist taking photos. How were you able to convince the these girls or these victims that, you know, I'm I'm safe? Like this is a safe place. You can talk to me because they're they've obviously been through so much. So uh, regarding the traveling part, uh, in some parts of the country, I, uh, you know, I got the support of a local nonprofit. So somebody from the nonprofit would accompany me and go with me. Uh, you know, in some parts I did travel alone. Uh, I keep a very low profile. You know, I try to dress as modestly. I, you know, no makeup, nothing, look as plain as possible, just to blend within the crowd. You know. Although right. people in the village can tell that I am from the city, it is very evident that I am from the city. But at least you know, uh, as 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 among them, London, London, right. yeah. So and right. and of course, uh, you know, different states in India is different. So again, knowledge of the different culture of the place that you're going, uh, a little bit of research about which are the areas you should not go at all, which are the roads that you should avoid. You know, this is every journalist has to do that homework before. So that's there. And uh, apart from uh, that, this is how I work. And in some places where I felt very threatened because I was threatened and it's happened more than once. Uh, in some places I was chased by the village headman's, uh, you know, uh, he, he sent his men after me to find out what I was doing. And uh, I was surrounded by a lot of people asking why I was there. So there were situations like that. There was ones where, there was this group of men who came on, um, you know, motorcycles. and it's, it's always men, by the way. Yes, yes. Saying. Just saying, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so once there was this group of men who just came, who did not ask me any questions. They took my bag and they just opened it and they opened everything that I had. My wallet, they wanted to see my identity card and everything. So, you know, there are situations that I've had to handle. I was followed a few times. Sometimes I think the best thing is to just talk to them face on. And that's what I have done because they don't want to or, you know, like the best thing is just to talk to them and talk to them with a very cool mind, uh, no kind of emotions. And I just ask them, like, why don't you want me to? I have a feeling you don't want me. Is there something that I have done wrong? If yes, please let me know. I'll leave. And then I would tell them, you're like my brother, you know. Uh, you know, so what? So what? I'm from the city. Uh, is that a crime that I'm from the city? Why can't I, you know, visit your village? What is wrong in it? You tell me what is wrong, and I'm good. So I would always throw the questions at them. <laughs> and I mean, it has to be partly, or maybe a lot. You're a woman. Yeah. Who knows? I I don't know. But again, you know, looking at a woman come like this. I mean, it's also you know what. I don't blame them. People are curious and it's a small right. village. It's a small community. They know each other. So whenever they would see somebody who is an outsider, obviously they are curious. They will have, they have the yeah, right yeah. to ask me questions. I'm right. not saying they don't. If somebody right. came to my house 
you know. Right. I would ask questions. Who are you? So they, I think they have the right to ask questions, which is okay. It's just that, um, you know, how you deal with that is, you know, if you if yeah. they feel threatened by you, then it is a problem. If you make them feel comfortable, if you tell them why you are there, it's okay. And I would not tell them that I'm here to meet uh, with a rape survivor because they wouldn't want that because nobody wants any negative thing coming out of their village. Especially I was the, just going to say, like, you're, yeah, you're there yeah, yeah. talking to women and girls who are rape survivors. Yeah. So the men in the community, like, they would not want that. So I had a trick. Right? I had a trick. So this was a trick that I, that, that I had to invent when I was in a kind of a dangerous situation. Oh, and, and it was not just about me. It was also about the family that I was photographing because I did not want to single them out because they were going through so much. They were going through such horrible pain that I don't want to be an additional uh, you know, pain right. for them. And what if I'm gone? After I'm gone, what if some kind of danger falls on them? I don't want to be the one responsible, right? It's it comes, right. it you know, right. Photography comes with a lot of power, and that power, uh, you know, leads to bigger responsibility. I think. So what I did was I started telling everyone that I was a researcher, and my research is on female hygiene. Uh, so I would carry sanitary napkins. <laughs> And I would talk about menstruation. So the moment the men would hear it, they would be so embarrassed that they would leave me alone. Love it. They're like, all right, hands off. We're done. That's good. And by the way, Smitha, this is not men in villages in India. This is men around the world. All around the world. It's the best excuse. I'm like, yeah, I got my period. Everyone's like, okay, we're done. Thanks. So the funny thing is in one moment, you just look around and you you look you see like fifty men surrounding you, and the next moment you take out a pen and paper, you take out a pad, and then you you just yeah. see people disappear. You know. Yeah, they're like, okay, Jayashi Krishna, bye, see you later. It's yeah, yeah, we're done. Yeah, totally. It's the best. It's, it's the, the best. best. So this was the best way to get rid of people from asking me questions. They were too embarrassed. The men, and and then you know, I would talk to the women. And I would really talk to the women about their problems and all that. And then I would go to the house where I wanted to work. Because then, you know what, I've already, the curiosity has died down. People are bored right. of me. Uh, right. They, they, they're they, done. They're yeah. done. And now they're right. back to cooking and doing the household chores doing and everything. Doing normal stuff, yeah. And then I do yeah. my work. That's when I begin my work. I mean, I'm sure you've had so many amazing interviews and interactions with these women and girls has there been one in particular that has stood out to you that has just kind of like shocked you, surprised you, kind of changed your whole point of view on things? I don't know. I mean, there's been so many incidents and I've met with so many people, not just in India, also while working in other countries. That right. It's very difficult for me to single out. But there was this one incident and I'm going to share it because of the difficulty that I felt, you know, after that right. with myself. Um, so there was this girl who, there was an attempt to rape case. Uh, she was alone. Her mother was uh, on the terrace and um, she was fetching water when she was, uh, you know, attacked by three men. They took her inside her house. They tried to rape her and she put up a very brave fight. And uh, because they were unable to rape her, they went to the kitchen. They took the stove, you know, which had kerosene, you know, and uh, they 
poured it on her and tried to immolate her, burn her alive. And um, hearing her screams, her mother came down and she put, you know, a sari on her, you know, to douse the fire and then she was taken to the hospital. So I got that news and I rushed to the hospital and this happened in the city of Varanasi. So when I went to the hospital, it was, uh, you know, I was in another village when I got. So finally, when I met her, it was like uh, a day later and she was in the emergency in the Bono ward. And the moment uh, her family was very, you know, accepting of me and supportive and they wanted me to tell her story because, you know, they, they realized that no one is going to listen to them. The moment I entered the hospital, I saw this casket kind of thing where she was kept. Uh, and no fabric could touch her because her skin, she was like 75%, almost 80% burned. So there was some kind of covering on the casket above her. And they had put medicines. And of course, she was badly burned. Her face was completely disfigured. And she was trying to talk to me. And uh, like she, she kind of told me in brief what happened to her, you know. And her mother was next to her, and when I could not understand, her mother would say that this is what she's meaning. And I have a video. That video was used as a testimony. It was so difficult, you know, just being there uh, in that room. And I somehow knew that she's not going to make it. I knew it then. I just felt very strongly that. But I was hoping against hope that you know she survives. And uh, two days later, she died. And I remember her mother was holding me and she was crying. Right? When we came out of the hospital, she was like, I hope my daughter is okay. And I just could not, you know, for, for many days after that, I just could not eat properly. Right. Every time I, you know, I sat alone, I, I, you know, I could, I had that smell. I could smell that. The smell that I got in that room, that burn ward, I think that smell stayed with me for a very long time. Even now, when I look at a photograph while editing, uh, you know, I get that smell. Sometimes, you know, smell wow. becomes a very strong part of a memory. Not probably one of the strongest, actually. Yeah. 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 So I think wow. that, that incident had a lot of impact on me. I'm in awe of you for doing all this work. And, and there's a ton more that you're doing. I know you're doing... The human trafficking, child child tra- trafficking. I know you had personal stories on your own family, um, and the immigration story about that young young boy that came from India to to the states and kind of how his immigration story went. And at the end of this conversation, we'll talk about how people can like help and like look you up. Um, but I do want to talk about uh, your fellowships because I know you have become a TED fellow. <laughs> yes. So congrats on that. Thank you. Uh, and so what does that mean? Like what does TED fellowship mean? So the TED fellowship is more like a mentorship program because we all are from very diverse fields. Somebody is a scientist, somebody is an engineer, somebody, you know, is a teacher, somebody is an environmental, uh, you know, uh, conservationist. So, uh, it's really nice because we are from so different profile and right. and there are fellows who were, uh, you know, who are a part of this cohort, you know, there are more than right. 500 fellows. So it's like you're just joining a ship with many talented people around in the ship and you might just join hands with someone whose work resonates with you and you might be able to collaborate on something pretty nice. Right. Uh, that's right. the main intention of this fellowship. And also, you know, they, uh, 
um, the program also has this uh, mentorship so they can give you an individual mentor for something that you desire something that you want to do with your career you know it could it can, right. it could be anything it could be you know scientists wanting to invent something and maybe patent something who knows what it is you know right. everybody anything anything, is anything that is possible it's kind of it's kind of like a being in college again at an older age, right? Like just networking, connecting, right? And like being able to like network more. Yes, yes, yes. With people that you, you would not have a chance to otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah. And they have conferences. They have conferences where you're invited. Okay, good. So now things are different because of this pandemic. Things are going to get virtual. Yeah. I was going to ask you about how, how, how are you guys doing over there? It's just, I lost my mom, I lost my mommy last past weekend. So to COVID mm-hmm. in Bombay. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Uh, you know, um, I know it's happening around like to, to so many friends. How are you guys doing right now with this pandemic? Like, how's your family and how are you and how's your job? How's it affecting what you're doing? So, uh, you know, I have a two year old son um so, so cute. i think my priority right now is my family and then my work because uh if i if something happens to me i would bring it down to my family which i don't want right uh although right. as a journalist i am supposed to be out there in the field working but i think right. there are already people who are doing amazing work you know so uh i would rather work on underreported issues later on when things die down because this is right now everything is so insane uh that i just don't want to be in that fire you know yeah which is smart in a, in a lot of ways i just interviewed someone about the farmers protest in punjab and i'm sure obviously you know everything about it and, and the way journalists have been treated um and so just wondering what your thoughts were on that Yeah so you know being a journalist pretty much independent journalist you are on your own uh, you know special people like me who work uh, as a freelancer as an independent um, right so if you catch the virus uh, you know your hospital bills whether you have the insurance or on your own who is going to take care of it right uh, regarding the farmer protest or any kind of protest where there is violence uh it's we we take a lot of risk in our professions and sometimes a lot might happen so who are the people who are going to really protect you or be by your side although i would have to say that uh you know uh, you know our photographer community is a very close knit one it doesn't matter which country you're from uh, you know there are not too many people uh, who are in this profession although it's it goes right. up to thousands but we kind of know each other or know each other's right. work it's, uh, a, it's a smaller circle mm-hmm. right. it's a very tight knit closer circle so it's always that some kind of help some kind of thing comes but uh, i think it's not just india i think overall in the entire globe journalists right now they're going through a very tough time because we are being targeted because we are the ones who speak up and who are the, we are the ones who expose a lot of things so we are seen as threats right no as just I mean, it's happening here. Mm-hmm. I can imagine it's happening there. Everywhere. Everywhere. Look at Brazil. Look at China. Look at everywhere. Right. Right. But, I mean, you guys are kind of our front line. Like, we need journalists <laughs> like you guys. I mean, honestly, otherwise, no one knows what's going on. And so I applaud you for your work. When I read about what you did, I was like, I have to meet this girl, even if we don't even have a podcast, like, just what you're doing. 
I don't know if you need to hear this or I just, you know, as a person that has just connected with you, just has just met you. I think what you're doing, you should know is very important and very brave. And just, I hope you know that. And I hope your son knows that. (laughs) Um, And I, I just, I, yeah, you guys are, you are very inspiring. And so I'm glad I got to talk to you and like got hold of you for an hour. I want to end with, I mean, I have so many more questions, but I, I want to end uh, with a fun round of question, questions so people can get to know you. And sure. it's just whatever whatever comes to your mind. So just have fun with it, right? All right. Ready? It's All like right. a, re- a rapid fire round. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what is the best compliment you've ever received? Uh, beauty with brains. That's a pretty solid compliment. I like it. That's good. <laughs> How would your parents... Because I love this because South Asian parents, Indian parents have their own way of describing things. How would your parents just describe what you're doing right now? Uh, photogenesis. Oh, so they know. Yeah. If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Okay. Among the dead, um, one person would be Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. Um, okay. A great freedom fighter and, you know... Uh, He's the founder of the Indian National Army. Okay. Uh, I have huge respect for him because he's a Great. solid, solid person. Two more persons. So somebody who's alive and somebody's work that I really admire is writer Chimamanda Adichie. She's a Nigerian writer. Okay. Uh, I I just love her writing and also her TikTok. It was so interesting <laughs> uh, that, by the way i want to get on tiktok but i'm scared but that's a whole other thing we'll figure that out. yes <laughs> i'm like i'm too old for this but i kind of want to do it so and somebody who is third i don't know if i have anyone like anyone like hollywood bollywood anyone fun? i'm not a celebrity kind of you know i find i don't know if i am very, very fond of how okay, about, how about, hang on hang on, hang on. How about a journalist? Okay, 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 no 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 okay maybe leonardo not because he's just an actor, but also because he's very passionate about climate change and, you know, he's, he's doing a lot. So maybe we're That's not a, I'll come with you on that one. That's a solid <laughs> one. Yeah. I feel like he would be a solid conversation. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I just wouldn't want to go for dinner with someone who, with whom I wouldn't be able to talk much. Right. That would right. be boring. I think you can talk to anyone. I feel like you have that personality, but I like Leonardo. <laughs> okay. What is something people may misunderstand about you? Oh, gosh. Okay. So sometimes here, uh, you know, there are, you know, women who have groups and they talk and they, I feel very left out in their conversation because I don't know if I can gossip about my in-laws and if I can talk about some kind of um, some celebrity or some some program on TV because I don't oh my watch, god I don't watch TV I, you know by the way you're cooler than everyone I know so just <laughs> know that that's um you know what kudos I'm clapping on my podcast because no. good for you that's good this is a good thing I don't know but I feel so out of place especially when I take my son out to the park and all the other women are sitting and they're chatting Definitely don't ever feel left out. I'm telling you, like, women here, any woman here that will hear about you, this is like, you're a badass. So, like, don't ever feel like, yeah, I know I'll keep, I'm not your therapist, but that's fine. <laughs> no, but so there's I really nothing, think, there's, yeah, I mean, I, I think they might be thinking I'm arrogant. So, it's it's just their perspective. I, 
think so. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's their problem at the end of the day because you're taking care of shit is what's happening. So I'm just, just saying. Okay. What would you pick for your last meal? Sushi. I'll tell you a quick story. So my husband and I went to Japan. We were dating then. So he went to business school in Boston. And before he got into business school, we, we went to Japan for three weeks wow. to test test our relationship. Because <laughs> business school here is crazy. Okay, It's not like India. So he went to Harvard. Oh, wow. And Harvard Business School is very intense. People don't, the relationships don't last. People end up meeting people in business school. It's a very intense thing. And so we decided let's go on one final trip before he starts business school to see if we're compatible. So we went to Japan. Best country ever, by the way. Loved it. And so I've been, I'm very, I grew up in a very strict Hindu, vegetarian household. Like I went to Monday every weekend. Like it was crazy. You, you, I think you were more Indian than me. Probably. Yeah, while that's we were growing up. I think well, so. Well, that's a story, Smitha. That's a story of immigrants moving to the U.S., mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like my parents' generation that moved here was so like emboldened. Like they so wanted to hold on to like the Indian culture that we weren't as, actually allowed to go out of it for a while. I have relatives, so I know. <laughs> but trust me, I made up for it. Don't worry. Um, and so we were in Japan, and we went to the fish market in Tokyo. And my husband, my then boyfriend, my husband now, was like, you have to try fish. We're in, like, freaking Japan in the fish market. So I was like, okay. Had raw sushi. Oh, like, my God, for the first raw, time. First time. The whole time, I swallowed the damn thing. I was like, oh my God, finding Nemo was in my stomach. And I like literally, I literally downed a whole like beer. Cause I was like, this is so disgusting. Anyways, that was my, that was my whole last time. And I had this sushi. Yeah, that was <laughs> my sushi. But, but I'll have vegetarian sushi. So. Okay. If we were ever to reunite uh-huh. and I would love to come to India, I will come. My in-laws are there. Are you willing to have a dance off with me? I would love to. I love salsa. I love dancing oh, too. Wow. I'm not. I Do don't you? know if I'm a very good dancer, but I can dance. Yeah, I like okay. dancing. That's all. That, that's all that matters. I just want to make sure you're saying yes to my dance off because that's all I want. Yes. Oh, awesome. Man, after talking to people like her, I feel kind of useless. You guys. Please check out her work. Her website, again, is Smitha Sharma, S-M-I-T-A-S-H-A-R-M-A.com. And then you can follow her on social media, of course, on Instagram as S-M-I-T-A-S-H-R-M. You have to check out her work. Her photos are just, is mind-blowing okay to say? Mind-blowing? Yeah? I'm, I'm old. I can say that now. Check it out, guys. And as always, you can follow me, Podcast. Tuck it out with Ami.com. Stay tuned for more. Thank you guys for the support. Love you. This is Tuckered Out. <laughs>